Uh, good morning. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Our task this morning is to cover the entire chapter, and we'll see how far we get with the help of the Spirit. Uh, I've asked my sons to do the reading this morning, so I'm going to call up Aiden first to read Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and then his brother Dalif will do the remainder of the chapter. Romans chapter 5. I by faith, if we have peace with God uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into His grace, in which we stand and rejoice in that, uh, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance is character, and character hope. New hope does not uh, disappoint because the love of a God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when, when we were still oh, without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man and who will undie, I yet perhaps for a good man, someone who even dared to die, but God demonstrates his own love towards us as in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, much more, more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall uh, be saved from um, um, wrath through him. And for if when and we were enemies, we, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we are now received in the reconciliation. Picking up in verse 12. Therefore, just as one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, for until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as though one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's, one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's disobedience, obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you, boys. 
May the Lord bless the reading of His Word this morning. So, to be honest with you, I don't think we'll get through the whole chapter. Uh, this is a... Uh, 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 not that, the, not that uh, the Word of God is very profound, all of it is very profound, but this chapter seems to have an air of weightiness beyond most. Every, every word has, has great depth, every phrase has great depth and meaning, and we can spend quite a lot of time in each word and in each phrase. So I, I will do my best uh, to get as far as we can, but I will encourage you to come back tonight for small groups. Right? Where we got together and we could read this passage together and we can discuss what's in this passage together, right? So what's not covered this morning, Lord willing, we'll cover tonight in small groups. So it's kind of a plug for small groups tonight. So guys, please come on out. It's been a wonderful time, uh, when we came back together just a few weeks ago. And, um, it really has been a blessed time both for the men and the women. All right. Romans chapter five. So, First, to illustrate the point how, depth, how deep this, these verses are, uh, a great scholar by the name of Donald Gray Barnhouse, you, some of you are familiar with his name, uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse, uh, back in, in, in the 1960s, uh, started, uh, or was one of the first pioneers, I'm sorry, in 1949 actually, I'm sorry, in 1949 he, he began to pioneer the radio preaching ministry. And uh, he began to write a, a commentary on the book of Romans. The entire book of Romans. And it took him four volumes to get through it all. Four volumes. Now, I, I will say, I don't, I don't own his four-volume set, but I did see this online. Four-volume set. And do you know how many pages out of the four volumes are dedicated to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11? And, and this is actually a funny story. 220 pages. And the only reason that stuck with me, by the way, is because I weigh 220 pounds. And I said, Lord, I think you want me to bring this up before everybody. But he took 220 pages out of his volume to simply open 11 verses of Romans chapter 5. So when I say there's an immense amount of weightiness, there is an immense amount of weightiness. My mind can't delve and grasp all of it, let alone the beginning of it. So... Approach this with great reverence. Approach it with great respect. Approach it with a, with a diligent mind. And, and I implore you with a diligent mind, right? We can't look at these verses haphazardly. We can't look at them lazily. There's a lot here. And God speaks through His Word in amazing ways. Now, I will give you an outline. Uh, like I said, we won't get through all of it, but I will give you an outline. Um, and, and, and you'll be proud of me. They are alliterated. They all start with the letter T. Alright. Verses 1 through 5, we have the blessing of justified by faith. Verses 6 to 11, we have the love of God. And verses 12 through 21, you have the wreckage of sin and redemption. I'll repeat them so you remember them. They all start with T. The blessing of justification by faith. The love of God and the wreckage of sin and redemption. I'm sorry I couldn't do better than that. Mike's a little disappointed on me, but I'm sorry. That's the best I could do. I'm, I, I'm not a wordsmith by any stretch of the imagination. But at least it gives us a simple breakdown of this chapter, this, this massive chapter. We, we begin with the blessing of justification by faith. And I will say this. 
we can hang on every word in verse 1. And we can meditate upon every word in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Therefore, I've, I said it a couple of weeks ago. Therefore, is there? What is it there for? Right? And we have to go back to chapter 4. And chapter 4 spoke to us about that justification being made right with God does not happen by our works or by keeping the law. It happens through faith. And he gave us examples of, of Abraham and David. And, and, and he proved through a logical argument that it was justification through faith. They were justified not by their works. They were justified by their faith. Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him unto righteousness. And so we read in, in, in the point of, of, of chapter 4 is that salvation being made right with God comes through faith and faith in Jesus Christ. We have to start at that point. And here we are in chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith. It's abundantly clear. I don't want anybody here to be confused. How is one saved? How is one made right before God? It is through faith and faith alone. Paul is very clear. The Word of God is very clear. The Holy Spirit is very clear. It is through faith we find justification. Next it says is we have peace with God. We have peace with God is a wonderful phrase. I, I, I was blessed by, by digging into that phrase. We have peace with God. You may say to yourself, what, what do you mean peace? I, you know, I, I, I work with a, a bunch of unbelievers and, and you talk to them about God. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I believe in God. Yeah, yeah, God is good. Yeah, yeah, God is love. And I, I pray to him once in a while. Yeah, I believe in God. But do they have peace with God? Well, if I would ask one of them, do you have peace with God? Well, of course I have peace with God. I'm not against God. I'm not at war with God. I'm not against God in any way. I have peace with God, they would say. But the truth is, if you're not justified, if you're not made right in God, do you know that the Bible calls you an enemy of God? An enemy of God. I mean, we see it in this very chapter. If you look down, uh, what is it, verse 10? Verse 10. For when we were enemies. Enemies. Wow, that's a strong word. That is a strong word. It is a strong word. And and this idea that, 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 that sinful humanity is at enmity with God. We are enemies of God, whether you, you, the world knows it or not. They're enemies of God. Now, you may say, well, they they don't feel it. You may not feel like you're an enemy of God. They may not think they are. That's true, but it doesn't change the fact, does it? And how do we, how do I illustrate this idea of, of, of being against something without really knowing it. And, and, and the only thing I could think of, and, and, and forgive me if it's not a great example, but you know, when you talk to people about abortion and pro-life, and you say to them, listen, do you realize that you are against life itself? They would look at you and turn up their noses. What do you mean I'm against life itself? I love life. I love all life. We cherish all life. But not the life of the newborn. But not the life of the unborn. Oh, but, but, but what about everything else? Listen, your actions, your words are speaking against life itself. 
You may not consider yourself an enemy against life, but your actions, your words, are enemies against life. Do you see that? And so the world can sit together and, and they can say, oh, well, I, I, I have peace with God. I, of course I have peace with God. I, I love God and God loves everything. Well, it doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what you think. What does God say? Well, God calls you an enemy. I, I, let me further illustrate this to you. We, we were in it this morning at the, at the Lord's Supper. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Just, just to further uh, emphasize this point. In Ephesians chapter 2, you have this uh, uh, beautiful section, uh, uh, this gospel section, talking about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But, but look what it says in verse 2. It says, in which you, speaking of those who were dead in trespasses and sins, you who walked, walked according to the course of this world. Now listen. According to the prince of the power of the air. Who's the prince of the power of the air? Satan. Let me ask you a question. Is Satan the enemy of God? Yeah, beyond the shadow of a doubt. Right? So, so here he's saying, you walked according to the prince of power. So you were under his influence. What else does it say? Look down again. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So if you're not of Christ, if you're not of God, you are a child of who? Satan. So are we clear here? When when the Word of God calls you an enemy of God, it is the clearest sense of the word. There is no doubt, whether you know it or not, whether you admit it or not, your actions, who you are, your very nature, makes you an enemy of God. And so the question must be asked, how is peace achieved? How can we who are at enmity with God ever find peace with a holy, righteous, just God. Well, we, we learned about that a couple of weeks ago um, in Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, if you turn the page over, we, we read about that uh, uh, in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, making us enemies of God. Being justified, verse 24, being justified freely by grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation. And it's that word I want to dwell upon for a little bit. Propitiation. It's a big word. It can be hard to say sometimes. But it means to satisfy the righteous indignation of God. It may sound like a like a like like a old fashioned word or an old fashioned idea like like we have to satisfy the anger of of some god or we we, we talked about the, uh, the 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 goddess Diana and and they were concerned about her majesty and pacifying her propitiating her anger in a sense. God is not like a pagan god. God is not like a pagan God where, 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 where there is no rhyme or reason why they strike, if they strike. I mean, this is all hypothetical. They're, 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 they're empty gods. They're not real gods. They have no power. When we're talking about God, when God says there is righteous indignation, it is righteous indignation because of our sins. Our sins are against Him and Him alone. David would say in a psalm, I have sinned against thee and thee alone, not against Bathsheba, not against the, the, the children of Israel, not against my own wife, but against thee and thee alone, David would say. 
You see, God's indignation against your sin is something that needs to be dealt with. And that's what the word propitiation is. You see, God can't take the righteous indignation that He has and just sweep it under the rug and say, oh, it's okay. That would not make Him just. That would not make Him holy. That would not make Him righteous. You know, as a young boy, the... As I came across this word propitiation, I, 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 I tried to understand it and I had difficulty with it. And, and, and brothers helped me with this and that, but the one story that helped me to see and illustrate this was in Joshua. Just turn with me, j- j- just for the sake of, of the word, understanding the word. Turn with me to Joshua. I think it's chapter, uh, I didn't write it down. I want to say it's, it's chapter 4. There, after the, 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 the victory, I'm sorry, the defeat of Ai, or being defeated by Ai, I should say, because of the sin of Achan. It's actually chapter 7, excuse me. This is propitiation illustrated for one sin. Now I want you to, I want you to grasp this. This is, this is God's righteous anger propitiated, satisfied. Now, this is, this is a stage. This is what's happened. The Lord has brought the children of Israel into the land. The first city they come across is Jericho, a fortified city with a massive wall. The Lord says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to walk around, blah, 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 blah. You, you, you blow the horn the seventh day after you walk seven times. The whole thing comes down and you take over the city. And the Lord says to the people, the spoil of Jericho, he says, belongs to me, he says. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. All the spoil, all the gold, all the silver, all the goods belong to me. And so he very specifically told the children of Israel and Joshua that when you go into Jericho, all the spoils belong to the Lord. Do not take anything for yourself. And they did pretty good, except the one. You see, Achan, in his, in his eyes... He saw some silver. He saw some gold. And he saw a beautiful, beautiful tunic made by craftsmen in Jericho. And he said, you know what? The gold and silver can fit in my pockets and I can just shove this beautiful tunic underneath my shirt. And no one will know. And, and, and he scurried away and he went to his tent and he dug a hole and he buried it. No one will know. As far as everybody knows, all the spoil went to the Lord. His neighbors don't know. Joshua doesn't know. But who knew? The Lord knew. And there was sin in the camp. There was a sin in the camp that needed to be dealt with. God could not move forward with the children of Israel until that sin had to be dealt with. And so when the children of Israel said, hey, the next time over, it's just a little village it's so insignificant that the name of it is AI, just two letters, AI. And Joshua looks at it and says, Oh, well, there's no reason to, to, to pick up everybody and take the whole army over there. Just send a couple. That's how insignificant it was. And they came back defeated. And the Lord says, There's sin in the camp. And so I, I'm not going to go through all the details, but the Lord reveals to Joshua that it was Achan who had taken of what did not belong to him. 
It was the sin of Achan that was stopping the forward progress of the nation itself. It was a sin of Achan which which lit the fierce anger of God. Now look in Joshua chapter 7, verse 25. It says, And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? Speaking to Achan. The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Seems a bit excessive, doesn't it? Not only were they killed by stones, but then they were burned after the fact. Now, the key here is verse 26. Then they raised over a great heap of stones, still there to this day. Now listen. So the Lord turned from the fierce, from the fierceness of his anger. You guys catch that? There's propitiation. There is propitiation right there. The Lord was angered because of the sin of Achan. His fierceness and wrath was upon the children of Israel because of the one sin in the camp. And they could not move forward until the sin was dealt with. And it took the, the, the children of Israel acting as judgment for God upon Achan and his family for the wrath of God to be satisfied. For one sin. For one sin. I, I can't help but to draw your mind and draw your heart to the fact that Jesus Christ, our Lord, paid the price. He, he, he In Romans chapter 3, he says He was the, our propitiation. So if, if the righteous anger of God was satisfied with this, with the, with the, stoning of Achan and his family and then casting them on fire. What was it like for my Lord when my sins, not just one, but all of them were put upon him? What was it for my Lord when the sins of all of you were cast upon him? What was that suffering what was that cup of wrath when, when, when we read in first, first John chapter two that it wasn't just the sins of you and I, but it was the sins of the world were cast upon him. And he drank that cup of wrath for you and for me. He drank all of it. Now, he did all of it. So that you would have peace with God. So that I could have peace with God. So it, Theologians talk about the, our, our, our state and our standing before God. And, and, and as I look at this word peace, we have peace with God. Yes, I, I look upon the heavens and God sees a redeemed soul. Not by my own merit, but because of the work of Jesus Christ. But what I find beautiful beyond just the fact that I have peace with God, it, my standing before God is in peace. But my state is also kept 
by Jesus himself. What do I mean by that? When we think about our standing, it's, 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 a, it's a positional standing. My state, my state may change, doesn't it, right? We talked about how, how, how positionally we are justified before God, right? But sanctification, it's a state. It's a, it's a, it's a growing state. Listen, our peace is not only are we standing in peace because of Jesus Christ, but we are kept in peace by Jesus Christ. Well, what do you mean? Well, God hates sin, doesn't he? Our sin is what made us an enemy of God, wasn't it? For all those who call themselves children of God, have you sinned again? Have you sinned since you, you, you turned to God and asked for forgiveness and, and, we're, and we're, we're born again? Have you sinned since then? Yeah, I, I have. Tragically, more often than I want to. I've sinned against the God who loves me. How is peace kept then? How is peace kept then? I point you to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. It says, my little children, uh, if you sin, do not fear, for we have an advocate with the Father. You, you have somebody in the, in the thrones of heaven who stands on your side. It is Jesus Christ who is the advocate for the, for the saint. And when the accuser of the brethren, when Satan himself would accuse and say, See, look at him. Look what he's doing. Look what he's thinking. There is my advocate. Say, I have paid the price. I have paid the price. And when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are at peace with God. And we are held in peace with God by Jesus Christ. Hebrews talks about him, his high priestly ministry, in that he ever lives to what? To make intercession for you and me. We have peace with God. Through whom we have access. Lord, help us. I don't think we're going to get very far. (sighs) Let me be more brief. Through whom we have access. Well, first of all, we have to ask through who? Well, it's through Jesus Christ. Access to what? Access to God. Now, we may say these words and we may say them uh, haphazardly. We, we may think about these things, but, but we shouldn't make these ideas or this, this, this idea of access so mundane in our minds and in our hearts. I, I, I want you to, to fully grasp the, the blessing that access is. On Friday nights, the, the youth group, we're going through, through Exodus. And a couple of weeks ago, we were in, in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 is when, when, when God descended upon Mount Sinai. You, you know what, the, you, know, you know what God told Moses to tell the people? He told, he, he told Moses, hey, hey Moses, listen, I, I, I'm gonna go meet the people, but I want you to tell the people this. You're gonna, you're gonna take some time and you're gonna consecrate yourself. 
You, what does it mean? To set yourself apart from anything that's unclean. To, 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 to bathe, to clean your physical body. Not only the outside, but the inside. To consecrate yourself, to be ready to meet their maker. And, and, and Moses tell them also, listen, you're going to put a fence around the mountain. Tell them, be very, 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 very stern with them. Warn them. If anyone crosses that little fence and touches the mountain where, where I am at, they're going to die. You're going to kill them. For I am holy and they are not. The day came, the people gathered, God descended upon the mountain with darkness and lightning and fire. And the people quaked. The people shook. Is that access? Do you consider that access? The people would see the holiness and glory of God and they would tremble and melt. And they would tell Moses, Moses, you talk to God, we'll do whatever He says. We can't bear the sight. Is that access? No, that's not access. That's God's holiness and our unworthiness. Well, you may say, okay, well, well hold on. God gave Moses the plans to the tabernacle. And, 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 he, and he made this tent. And, and in this tent, there was two rooms. There was a holy place and a holiest of all. And, and, and there, in this golden box with a golden lid, God's presence would dwell. And God's people could come and worship God. Is that access? I mean, it's better. But... Was that really access? I mean, no one was allowed through that curtain except once a year, one man, the high priest, and only, only if he had blood to atone for the sins of the people. Is that access? Friend, I tell you this morning, when we have access... When, 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 when the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write, to say we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access, that access is unfettered. That access is unhindered. We boldly come before the throne of God. We do something that, 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 that was unimaginable in the Old Testament. Nobody can walk into the tabernacle. Nobody can rip open the curtains and step into the presence of God. King Uzziah tried. He became a leopard. I think God would have killed him if the high priest wouldn't have stopped him. All he wanted to do was burn incense before the Lord. Yet you and I, we don't approach God in that relationship. Romans chapter 8 would would, would, would speak about the, the spirit of adoption which is given to us. You who were far off are now made a child of God through Jesus Christ. And we approach God. Romans 8 puts it this way. We cry to Him, Abba, Father. We cry to Him as a, as a young little child 
calls for his daddy. That's the relationship we have with God. That's the access that he's blessed us with. Begin to enter into the benefits of such a, such access. I, I don't, I don't care who you are or how important you think you are. When your kids need you, they don't have to ask for permission, do they? They'll come bolting in and, and, and ask. I remember as a little kid, all our little kids would, would be running around. It doesn't matter who I was talking to, no matter what I was doing, no matter who I was talking to on the phone, if they wanted a drink, guess what? Daddy, 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 daddy I, I, want to, I want a drink, daddy. Did I strike them with my wrath? Did I, did I, did I destroy them with my indignation? No. I kneeled down to their little faces and said, I will get you a drink. Give me a minute and I will get you a drink. Because they're my children. And I love them. And so when we, the children of God, come running into the presence of our Father with whatever our request may be, whether, 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 whether glorious or, or foolish, him and his fatherly love hears us. Access. Through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Oh, the blessings. Oh, the blessings of justification. We have peace with God. We have access. And we have a standing. We have a standing. I'm not going to spend too much time on this point, but I, I, I just because we're going to be covering this uh, here from here on out. But our standing is in grace. This morning, I, I, I shared from you about how grace abounds much more. And, and I want to be abundantly clear. Grace is unmerited favor. When we stand before God, we don't stand as, as the Jews did. They stood on the law which the law could not save them. We stand upon the unmerited favor of God. When we consider the grace of God, and you begin to think about what is the grace of God, go back to Calvary as we were talking about this morning. When men were reviling against Him while He hung on the cross, what did Jesus do? He turned to the heavens and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Unmerited favor. When men wanted nothing to do with him, he hung on the cross for them. When God, when, when God wanted nothing to do but to pour out his wrath upon humanity... But he chose to put his wrath upon his son. Unmerited favor. You see, when we approach God, we approach God upon the unmerited favor of God. Our standing is in grace. 
Our standing is not because we are do-gooders. Our standing is not because we try really hard. Our standing is because God is a gracious God and He loves us. Grace. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Hope of glory of God. The hope of the glory of God. First of all, I want you to contrast in your mind that phrase, glory of God. Where else do we see that phrase in the book of Romans? Well, if it's not coming to you, let me give you a little help. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, what does it say? For all have sinned. And what? Fall short of the glory of God. So, sin is to fall short of the glory of God. What, what, what terrifies all sinners is that they cannot be or stand before the glory of God because they are unworthy. But for those who are justified by faith, Our hope. Listen, our hope is in the glory of God. Oh, we we, we can we can really delve into this one. Our hope is in the glory of God. Listen. How is it that a, 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 a simple man can sit there and look at death in the face and say, For me to live is Christ? But to die is gain. Where is that man's hope? Where is that man's confidence in? Is it in himself? Oh, I doubt it. It's in his Savior. See, we are justified by faith. Therefore, we we have a hope. We have a hope that is sure. We have a hope that, that is steadfast. We have a hope that does not waver. And when, when, when any believer is facing death, our hope is sure. Our hope is secure. There's nothing greater than to be with the one who loved us. I, John chapter 17, you, you have this beautiful section, and, and, and I refer to it all the time because it's one of my favorite chap, one of my favorite, my favorite chapters in the New Testament. But because there, the, the Lord is not only praying for His disciples, here's Jesus before He's going to die on the cross, but He prays for His disciples, and then He prays for you and I. And in His prayer, He says to the Father, Oh, how I desire that those whom You've given me would be with me and behold my glory. I know why I want to, I, I, I know why I want to go to heaven. Because my Lord is there. Because the one who loved me and died for me is there. For the one who has given me life is there. And I love him. I, like the, the woman in Luke, love him because he's forgiven much. That's why I love him. But blessed be God that the feeling is mutual. He desires that I would be there too. And he desires that all would be there. Our hope in the glory of God. 
So next we come to this section of tribulation. I struggle with this section, to be honest with you. After having these, these, these two verses, these bountiful verses, these, these, the deep wells of truth, we talk about tribulation. We talk about perseverance, endurance. We talk about character, proving character. We talk about hope again. Where is all this coming from? Well, it's an important point. Paul repeats it here. So does Peter, by the way, in his epistle. And so does James. The same exact principle. You see, just because you're justified by faith, it doesn't mean that life is perfect. It doesn't mean that, 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 that all will go well. No, far from it. The Lord says that they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. In this, in this world, you'll have many tribulations, the Lord says. He's prepared all His children. He, in His Word, He tells them, hey, stuff's going to happen. And when it happens, don't lean on, on your own understanding, but lean upon Him. You see, we, we, we hold all these truths that we were just talking about, but when life truly comes, there's difficulty. Whether it's financial, health, uh, 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 circumstances, trials and testing come. Trials and testing will come. But you see, the true child of God, and I want you to, to focus on that word, true child of God. The true child of God will find purpose in testing and trial. Because he knows that trial will produce endurance and patience. And that patience will, 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 will prove his character. And, and, and that character will give him assurance of hope. Well, what do you mean? I, I would point you to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, you, you, ha- you have this, 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 in verse 1, you have this beautiful statement, this call to all Christians, to all believers, to all children of God. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. This is the bare minimum requirement. This is the base thing we can do, is to, Lord, you've given you so much to us. You've given your son for us. The least we can do is give ourselves back to you. Now look at verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, as we walk this earth in trials and tribulation, who's with us in in all our trials and testing? Well, if you're a child of God, God's with you. And, and should we gripe and complain? I mean, okay, let me back up for a second. If you're in a trial, you're being persecuted, you're being unjustly persecuted, whatever the trial may be, right? What is the natural bent of all mankind when things get hard? It's the opposite of what this says. It says... Tribulation produces what? Perseverance, patience, endurance. The natural bent of all humanity is actually the opposite. When, when, when things get hard, people get what? Impatient. They'll say, oh, I, I need to get out of this. I need to change my circumstances. I need to figure this out. I can't stay where I'm at. 
Not for the believer. When trials and tribulation and testing come, it produces patience. It, it is God who puts you in those trials and testings. I hope you know that. John chapter 15 talks about the, 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 the vine dresser. He says, the, the Lord says, hey, listen, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me, and I will abide in you. Hey, listen, and the husbandman, the, the vine dresser comes and prunes the branches. He looks at our lives and very expertly begins to cut things out of them. Things we want. Things we like. But they're not for His purpose and His will. Now, we can either, we can go either run one direction or the other direction. Do we let Him do the, the perfect work? That we may prove the perfect will of God? Or are we going to kick against the goat? Are we going to fight against God? And I would post to you that, 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 that for the Christians who go into trial and tribulation, sometimes some trials drive people away from the faith, don't they? I would post to you, maybe they're ne- they were never Christians to begin with. You see, a true Christian would persevere. A true Christian would have adapted his character. A true Christian would have found hope. You see, when, when Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it, it talks about the transforming and the renewing. You see, when, 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 when I look at back at my life and I look at the difficulties and the hardships, and there, there has been many tears. There has been many, many valleys in my life. But when I look back, I see His hand. I see His providence. I see His goodness. And you know what does that, what, what that does for me right now? It gives me hope. It gives me hope and assurance that, that God is with me. Not because of who I am, but because of who He is. There is hope. Now hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us. Let me just take this whole verse together because we're out of time or almost out of time. First of all, let me just say this. This is the first occurrence of the word love in the book of Romans. So take note of it. Because for the first four and a half, five and a half chapters, it's been the wrath of God, the righteousness of God, His wrath, His justice, our guiltiness before God, ourselves under wrath, His righteousness, His propitiation. And here we have the word love. The love of God. And secondly, the Holy Spirit. First time it's been men- it's mentioned here in the book of Romans. It took five chapters to get to it. Now I only, only point out, point out the love of God first because of this. Because in, in Christianity today, you have this idea that God is love and that's all we need to teach. God is love. We don't, we don't need to go mention all the, the sins and the darkness and all the hard things. Just concentrate on God is love. Well, I don't negate that God is love. But when the Holy Spirit sat Paul down to pen this epistle, it took him five and a half chapters before he got to the love of God. And the love of God is wonderful, don't get me wrong, but it took five and a half chapters of a lot of other things, a lot of unpleasant things, to get to the love of God. 
First, I, as I, I pointed out already, it's the love of God towards us. It's not our love towards God. So it is God's love that's being poured out into our hearts. By who? By the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Again, we can spend time there. The Holy Spirit, the, the seal of our salvation, the, 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 the helper, all these things. A believer should walk as one who is loved and loved by an eternal love. I, sometimes I think we say these phrases, we say these words and, and they're empty to us. But, but listen, consider this. I, I, I love my wife and I love her dearly, but I love her so imperfectly. I love her so poorly at times. And yet I love her with everything I got. Why? Because I'm a fallible man. My love has a limit. My love runs out. My love is not everlasting. But God is not like me. God, His love never depletes. It never runs low. No matter how much love He dispenses, it never diminishes. The love of God has been poured out into your heart through the Holy Spirit. Never forget that. Through the trials and tribulations of life, never forget that God loves you. And we get into the section of love. Never has there been a more beautiful section concerning the love of God. Just very quickly, let, let, let's point out some of the highlights in the next five minutes, and I, I, I promise I will close. I know you're thinking we're never going to end, but I, I just can't walk away without at least highlighting a couple of these things. From verses uh, 6 to um, 11, um, it describes us in three different ways. Verse 6, it says, uh, For when you were without strength, were without strength, Verse uh, 8, verse 8, in that while we were still, what, sinners. Oh, and I missed one in verse 6 as well. He calls us ungodly. So we're we're without strength, we're ungodly, and we're sinners. I I just want to talk a little bit about each one of those things. This is our state before God. Without strength, simply helpless. When somebody's without strength, they can't change their circumstances. Right? If I, if I said to you, listen, I, I want you to grab this podium and I want you to throw it over the fence. Well, you said, well, I, I, I can't do it. Well, no, no amount of, of running around and talking about it is going to get it over the fence, right? You're without strength. You can't do it. Now, now, LJ probably can do it, but you can't. That's besides the point. But you, you get the point. Before God, we are helpless. Helpless in what sense? Well, helpless to improve our circumstances. We're enemies of God. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We, we are far from the promises of God. And can we do anything to change our circumstances? No, we're without strength. Ungodly. Ungodly is an interesting word. Ungodly is, is, is uh, lack of respect. In a sense, uh, lack of respect for God, lack of respect for each other, lack of respect for oneself, even though. 
I, I mean, think, think about the state of, of, of a sinner, right? I, no respect towards the, their creator. No respect to, the, to, the, to, their, to their brothers or sisters, to their neighbor. No respect for themselves. Well, what do you mean no respect for themselves? Well, when you, when you see a drunkard or, 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 or somebody who's, who's high as a kite, throwing up all over themselves, do you think they respect themselves very well? Or, or, or one who's sleeping around from, from, from one night to the other, are they respecting themselves? No, ungodly. Ungodly without respect. And lastly, sinners. Enemy of God. Condemned. Judged. That is our state before God. Now, I highlight those three things because that's where we are. And then God acts. What does He do? It says, But God demonstrates His own love towards us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I was talking to Joseph this morning, and he said that's his favorite verse in the Bible. And I would agree with him. It's one of the most beautiful verses in Scripture. That, that word demonstrate, by the way, in the Greek, it, it can be translated in a, in a couple of different ways. It, it, it is to show and to demonstrate, but it, it could also be to commend. It could be also to bring. Like, like Think about this, right? That, that God brings His love. God demonstrates His love. God commends His love. It, it should blow our minds. Listen, if you live in a neighborhood that doesn't have a, a gate on it, right? On occasion, you'll, you'll, you'll have somebody knocking on the door. Just a, a couple of weeks ago, I had someone knocking on the door. You open the door, and the guy was selling solar panels. Oh, you, you understand? Listen, uh, electric prices are going up, and if we put solar panels, we, it, it won't cost you anything. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not interested. No, no, but listen, listen, listen. He was he was eagerly trying to commend to me that I need solar panels in my house. He 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 really wanted me to buy them. He would go as far as maybe putting his foot in my door so I don't close the door. A salesman. Now, could you imagine the Lord of heavens coming down to earth, knocking on the doors of men, and recommending his love, selling to you his love, selling to you his love for you? It's breathtaking, isn't it? While you were without strength, ungodly, and sinful. Let us pray. Our Lord and Father, we were humbled by your character. Father, as we meditate upon your word and we meditate upon who you are and what you have done, Lord, we we do nothing but lift our hands open-handed. Nothing in them, nothing we can do to offer, Lord, but we, we, we praise and magnify your name and who you are. For your unmerited favor to sinners who deserve nothing but, but hell and death, we stand here in a pray in a place of privilege. We stand here in a place of grace. All through the 
work of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to grasp these truths. And not just grasp them in an intellectual sense, but grasp them with our heart, Lord. Let, 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 let the love of Christ compel us. Let, let, let it change the way we talk. Let it change the way we think. Let it change the way we, we walk. Let it change the way we breathe, Lord. But Lord, you are worthy of all of it. And we could never repay your kindness and your grace towards us. Father, bless us this day. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, amen.